Good morning. Let's turn, please, to John chapter 7. We have uh, two chapters to cover this morning, which uh, means that it's impossible to do. So we'll choose some uh, themes from these two chapters and concentrate on that, on those, and hope that uh, we can get some blessing uh, out of God's word as uh, as we review these two chapters. Um, I would like, first of all, to um, look at what we are intending to review as uh, the general topic of the book of John, which is that God is revealing to us the, or or sorry, uh, Jesus is revealing to us God's glory. Uh, And it's done in a progressive way. So you've probably already noticed as we've moved chapter to chapter through John that we are seeing through conversations that Jesus has and through miracles that he does. John calls them signs. Through these conversations and signs, we're having revealed to us the character of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the conversations began. You remember Nicodemus? There was a big conversation with him. Uh, There was a conversation with the woman at the well. Um, The Lord had a conversation with the man who was healed in John chapter 5. A big uh, discourse in chapter 6 that was reviewed uh, by Geo last week. And now here in chapters 7 and 8, we're going to have a long discourse uh, that the Lord has with, uh, with Jews, with the crowd, with the Pharisees, with the scribes, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so um, these conversations and the miracles that he performed or the signs that he gave uh, reveal God's glory. Uh, John 1 and 14, as we see here, says we look at his glory, uh, the glory as of the Father's one and only, full of grace and truth. And so in chapter 1, we're, we're led right away to see that we're going to be seeing the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ in, uh, in John's gospel. Uh, in the chapters 7 and 8, I'm not going to read it all, but I would like to read a sequence in the center, which is in John chapter 8, and verse 3. That's where we're going to start. John chapter 8 and verse 3. Scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. 
Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Women, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now these verses that we've just read, chapter 8, 3 to 11, are right in the center of this long discourse that Jesus had with a number of different people. First of all, in the start of chapter 7, and I'm not going to take you there, but i just let you understand, he has a, a, a conversation with his brothers. These are actually his physical brothers that came from Mary and Joseph. And uh, from there, they go up to Jerusalem. He stays behind for a while, but then later he goes up to Jerusalem as well for the Feast of Tabernacles, and he has there a number of discussions with the Jews, and then in another section, it's referred to as he had a discussion with the crowd. And then in another section, he had a discussion with scribes. And in another section, a discussion with Pharisees. So there's a, a number of conversations that the Lord has with people in John 7 and 8. And we're going to look at the substance of what those conversations were. All of this section, chapter 7 and 8, occurs during the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Tents. And there were a, a number of festivals that are referred to in the Gospel of John. Of course, there's, uh, there's uh, seven Jewish feasts that were uh, inaugurated in the Old Testament, but in the Gospel of John, we have three festivals that required uh, practicing Jews to go to Jerusalem to the temple, First of all, there was the Passover, which happens in the springtime, and uh, that's not what's happening here. Then there's the Pentecost, which happens in summertime, and then this festival, the Festival of Tents, occurred in the fall. And so it's known by a number of different names. I've called it the Festival of Tents. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called the Festival of Booths uh, and the Feast of the Ingathering. And it occurs six months after, after the Passover of the spring. And uh, it, it's, uh, uh, the festival of ingathering is appropriate and sort of similar to what we would call Thanksgiving. So it happened at harvest time in the fall. It took its name from tents that farmers would erect out in the fields where they would rest out of the sun, eat, and sometimes sleep uh, during the harvest time. It was seven days long, eight days uh, uh, originally in the Old Testament. By the time we get to the New Testament times, it had been cut to seven days. And the first day had no work. It was a solemn assembly. Everybody gathered together at the temple in Jerusalem and enjoyed um, the, each other's company and listened to them being taught uh, by the rabbis. The last day was a feast day, and so that would be like the Thanksgiving meal. The big feast occurred on the last day. And uh, of course, there were other special ceremonies that occurred uh, during the week, scripture readings, uh, um, water ceremonies, various different things happened during this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the content of chapters 7 and 8 are really not informed at all by this uh, festival, of fen uh, uh, festival of tents. Um, there's no direct references by the Lord to any of the occurrences that happened uh, during the, the festival of tents, 
but it's just a set background for us. That's what was happening. It's in fall. It's in Jerusalem. It's during the Festival of Tents. Lots of people are gathered around, and the Lord has his discussions, his conversations with all of these various people during this time. I want you to open your Bibles, have your Bibles opened to chapters 7 and 8, uh, because we're going to be looking at a number of verses. The first thing that I would like us to look at is in John 8 and 23. <clears throat> and the Lord says, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. 8 and 28 is the next verse. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will come to know that I am. And then in 8 and 58, the Lord says, Before Abraham came to be, I am. Now just saying the two words, I am, is sort of an ambiguous statement. I am what, somebody would say normally ask. And so the phrase is not really grammatically logical in English. Our God's not bound by any of man's laws. And so this phrase, I am, without any adverb following it, is found three times here in our passage in chapter 8. And it reminds me of Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And this is a, 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 a conversation between God and Moses. And God had said to Moses at that time, I am that I am. And he said, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thus shall you say, Unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. And so here for the first time in the Bible, way back in Exodus, God refers to himself as I am. And you see here I've highlighted two words, Lord God. Those are two separate words in Hebrew. The first word is Elohim. And that refers to the Lord. And then the word Yahweh or Jehovah refers to the word God. And all of the various names of God speak to his eternal character, his I am, the fact that he is present. Elohim refers to the creatorial power of God. And so when we refer to the Lord, to Elohim, we think of him as the creator as the one who can speak things into existence, as the one who is designed, and as the one who sustains, the all-powerful Elohim, the creator. When we think of Yahweh or Je Jehovah, we think of his constancy, his personalhood, the fact that he is, he was, he is, he is to come, he has always been him, I am. Other places we see the Lord referred to as Adonai. I won't get into that in detail today. That refers to the one who claims possession. He owns us, Adonai. 
and also Father is the fourth name of God that's prominent in Scripture, and that's uh, He cares about us. He cares about us as His children, His paternity over us. So Elohim is power, is creatorial. Jehovah is person, who He is. Adonai is possession, we belong to Him, and Father is His paternity over us for peace. Other places where the Lord refers to Himself as being I am, is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. And the Lord says there, I am he that lives. I am he that lives. That's right now, presently. I am he that lives. And was dead. That's past. He was dead. So we have the present. He that lives. We have the past. He was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's the future. Past, present, future the verse ends with amen that's true right the lord was the lord is and the lord is to come in the future he is i am revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 he says this i am the alpha and the omega alpha was the first letter in the greek alphabet omega was the last letter in the greek alphabet he's the beginning of the alphabet he's the end of the alphabet I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, that's the present, and which was, that's the past, and which is to come, that's the future. He is almighty, I am. There are other similar claims to the Lord's deity, to his I am character in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 4 says this, Who has wrought and done it? calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Isaiah 43 says, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no other Savior. I have declared, and I have saved, and I have shown, I am God. Before any day was I am he, and there is none that can deliver thee out of my hand. The eternal character of God revealed in the statement that I am. When he says these three different I am's to the crowd, in chapter 8 that we've just gone through, they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They looked at one another and spoke to one another and murmured to one another and did not understand. We, however, we know the Elohim power of God. We know the Yahweh Jehovah power of God. We know that he is our Father. And we know that he is our Lord. And so our response to this description, to this revelation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 7 and chapter 8, what should our response be? Well, there's an awe, isn't there? And there's a respect for God who is, who has never had a beginning and who will never have an end. He is our God. That calls forth our awe and our respect because of the mystery 
of God's character. We cannot really understand it in its entirety that he wishes to involve himself with us who have a beginning and an end when he has no beginning and will have no end. And as we have worshipped him this morning in song and as we have worshipped him in the gathering of remembrance, it does call for worship when we understand the I am character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are other I am's in this passage. There's one more that I want to highlight for you if you look at chapter 8 and verse 12. He says, I am, and now there is a description. It's not just I am, but there's a predicate here now. He says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world, he says here in chapter 8 and verse 12. This is not the only time that he says that he's the light of the world in John's gospel. If you were to go over to chapter 9 and verse 5, it says there, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He says the very same words again. And if we eventually we will get to John chapter 12, and there he says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes on me shall not abide in darkness. And we've already read way back in John chapter 1, a few weeks ago, the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness of this world, and the darkness comprehended it not. So this world has no light of its own. And so when the Lord came into this world, he was the light of the world. He provides us with direction. Without light, we can't see where we're going. He provides us with illumination so that we do not stumble. The Lord, as the light of the world, provides us with the warmth of heat because where there is light, there is heat to prevent our coldness of heart. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He gives us direction, he gives us illumination, and he gives us warmth. John 9 and 5 that I just referred to suggests that he was only the light of the world while he was here upon this, word, upon this earth. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Our response when we know that the Lord is the light is that we are now the lights in the world that now that he has gone to heaven. I have that on the authority of scripture. You and I, Christian, we are the lights in the world. We are the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ now in the world. He's commissioned us to replace him as the direction and the illumination and the warmth of Christ. What a responsibility that gives to you and to me, to be the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You, Christian, are the light of the world. 
I say again, that's a tremendous responsibility that we have to live our lives in accordance with the way Christ lived his so that we could be a light to the world <coughs> Excuse me. in the same way that he was. Paul in Philippians 2 and 15 says this, you should be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. These are how, this is how we should live. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as the lights of the world. <clears throat> Paul again in Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 14 says this, For you were sometimes in darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. <clears throat> Walk as children of the light. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. We are lights in the world. And we need to live our lives as Christians so that others may not be able to say there's darkness in that person. Rather that we are as Christ was when he was upon this earth, the light of the world. There are other references to light in scripture. First John 1 and 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness of, uh, at all. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Revelation 21 and 23, the lamb is the light. <clears throat> this is in a coming day in heaven. Uh, the lamb is the light thereof, referring to the heavenly city the Lamb is the light. Psalm 119 talks about the word of God being light. It says, the word of God is light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All through scripture are reference to light in the darkness. Revelation chapter 1 and 12 talks about the local church as being a light. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God. And it goes on in that chapter to refer to the fact that those lampstands are the church. And so New Life uh, uh, Bible Chapel is a light in this community. We represent collectively uh, Christ to this community. Individually, we're the light of the world. Collectively, we are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 tells us that the gospel is the light. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon us. And lastly, Proverbs chapter 4 says, The path of the just is light. The path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is darkness. So I've, I've shown you, haven't I, all the way from Exodus, all the way through to Revelation, references to the, to the light. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, the I am the light of the world, being the, the primary example that we as Christians should follow to represent Christ to our communities, to our friends, to our families, and to the world uh, in general. We are now the light of the world. <clears throat> now, not in my chapters 7 and 8, but elsewhere in this gospel are lots of other I am's with a predicate following that the Lord Jesus spoke in conversations with various people. 
So I'm just going to go through them quickly. We won't need to look at them in detail. In John chapter 4, where we had the woman at the well, uh, the woman at, uh, uh, at, of Samaria, the Lord said to her, I am the Messiah. Last week, Gio gave a, a, a very great exposition of the discourse that the Lord had in which he highlighted that he was the bread of life. And he was the one which came down from heaven to give life to those who were hungry. <clears throat> in John chapter 10 and verse 7, the Lord says, I am the door. And the reference there is anyone that, that can... Uh, anyone that uh, enters by him, that comes to him, uh, is given eternal life. In John chapter 10 and verse 1, <clears throat> the Lord says, I am the good shepherd. He's the one who looks after the flock. And we are part, Christian, we are part of the flock, and we've been made part of those that the Lord looks after. And it reminds us of Psalm 23, doesn't it? The Lord's my shepherd. I don't need anything more. I am the good shepherd, the Lord said. John chapter 11 and verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's interesting, in John chapter 11, this is well before the crucifixion of the Savior. It's well before his burial. It's well before his physical resurrection. And yet, in this chapter, he refers to himself as the resurrection and the life. The one who had power over death. John chapter 14 and verse 6. The Lord referred to himself as, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Have you noticed? Here he said, I am the bread of life, the one in the middle. In the bottom here he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And here he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord refers constantly to eternal life. And what he's getting at <coughs> is that we are sinners. We have done wrong. We were born as sinners. We actually physically and with our own free will practiced sin. And as a result, we are walking and have walked in darkness. And we have no eternal life. That's the, the sad state of those who are born and those who grow in this world. But because the Lord is the life, he's the bread of life, he's the way, the truth in life, he's the resurrection in life, he's the one who gave himself in death upon the cross of Calvary, yes, but he rose again in resurrection. And God has seen uh, uh, fit to glorify him and to raise him into heaven. And through that death of the perfect one, we who are sinners who accept him as our own, have received salvation. There is a need for every single one of us at some point in our life to personally recognize, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need God's 
blessing I need, God's salvation. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ loved me sufficiently to give himself upon the cross of Calvary. And he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he has taken my sin away and brought me to the place where now in the sight of God, I'm a light the same way as he was a light here in this world. I trust there's been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you've stepped into this position of light. Instead of walking in darkness, walking in light and having eternal life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is a critical verse for us as Christians. Our world is syncretic. That, what do I mean by that? Our world wants to think that there are many ways to God. Yes, that's good for you, I hear people say. Yes, Christian, that's good for you. But there are other ways. There are other good, there are other good people. And surely, surely you can't say that you're exclusively the ones who are going to heaven. And sometimes even as Christians, we're a little embarrassed, aren't we, to think that we alone have the truth. But you know what? It is true. It's in God's word. It's here in John chapter 14 and verse 6. The Lord said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. And listen to this, no man, no person, no man or woman, <coughs> excuse me, comes unto the Father except by me. We don't need to be embarrassed, Christians. We have Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And it's him that people must come to if they wish to see God's heaven, if they wish to have their sins forgiven, if they wish to have eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man no woman comes to the Father except by him. I am the true vine was the last one, John chapter 15 and verse 1. Now, I'm not going to be able to spend time on every one of these. I have four, eight, I have nine different um, sections in chapter 7 and chapter 8 where the Lord had individual discussions with people and it, it, was, it was striking to me as I read through these chapters in preparation for this, uh, for this meeting. It was striking to me all of the questions that God asked of him. In fact, in the Gospel of John, there are many, many questions. I, I didn't add them up, but I, I'm going to say there's probably about 50 or 60 different times that people asked him questions. Now, the Lord didn't see fit in every case to always respond to the questions, but here are ones that were asked of him. In 7 and 14, the Jews ask him, how does this, or they're asking amongst themselves, how does this man have any understanding? Uh, how, do, how is he, he's uninstructed. How does he know anything? And the Lord responded to them, telling them, my teaching comes from God. And so I can reveal God's glory. In chapter 7 and verse 20, the crowd uh, asks him, they say to him, you're crazy. Nobody's trying to kill you because he was referring to the fact that he was going to be crucified. You're crazy, they said. 
No one's trying to kill you. And the Lord says, the Sabbath is for the living. I'm the one who can judge righteously. 7 and 25, the crowd again is, they don't understand where he's from. They think he's from Nazareth. They think he's from, or sorry, from uh, Nazareth of Galilee. And they say, we know where he's from. Do these rulers actually think he's the Christ? And the Lord said, yeah, you may think I'm from Nazareth in Galilee, but actually I've been sent by God. In chapter 7, verses 33 through 35, the Jews now, a different audience, say to him, where will this man go? Because he's talking again about the fact that he is going to go to be crucified. And he said, I'm going to the one who sent me. Thirteen times in the Gospel of John, the Lord refers to the fact of the one who sent him, referring to God his Father. More questions. Eight in chapter three, the scribes and Pharisees, here in this section that we read together about the woman who was caught in adultery, they said, Moses said we should stone this woman. What do you say? And the Lord said, ultimately said to them, after he had stooped and wrote and really not answered them initially, he said, let him that was without sin cast the first stone. In eight and 12, the Pharisees now, they ask him specifically, where is your father? They thought he was referring to Joseph, his earthly father. And he said, you don't know me and you don't know my father. He didn't really give them a direct answer, but he was referring to his father in heaven. They did not understand. 8 and 22, the Pharisees said, is he going to kill himself? Because he talked about his death. And the Lord said, where I am, going you cannot come and 8 and 25 they flat out asked him who are you and the Lord said unless you believe that I am we've already been through this verse unless you believe that I am you will die in your sins um, in 8 and 33 uh, the Jews asked him, we're not slaves, because he referred to them as being slaves, in effect being slaves to sin. They said, we're not slaves. Why do you say we will become free? And he told them, everyone that commits sin is a slave to sin. And in 8 and 53, the last one in our passage, the last question of these nine questions, the Jews asked him, are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said this, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. I want to spend the last five minutes looking at the story that we just read earlier about the adulterous woman. The scribes and Pharisees came to test Jesus. The only mention of scribes in the whole book of John, lots of in the, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke, but in the gospel of John, the only time that scribes are referred to, they, together with the Pharisees, come to the Lord to test him. Uh, and uh, they were, there was a woman who was caught in, in sexual sin, and uh, the law required that, it, that if she was going to be uh, stoned, that uh, there had to be two witnesses, so at least two people saw her. Uh, and a, a man, incidentally, the man's not referred to. Where is he? How come he's not dragged in front of the Lord? Uh, it's just this poor woman 
she's put in the center, a surrogate for the Lord who is in the center at the cross, who is often in the center of a crowd. But in this case, they put this woman in, in the center and, and, and basically point her out as being someone uh, who is a terrible sinner. Will Jesus, or will he not, affirm Moses' law? And initially, Jesus doesn't answer. <coughs> he stoops down, and he writes on the ground. Love to know what he wrote. Love to know what he wrote. But we're not taught what he wrote. They keep persisting. And finally, the Lord stands up and says, okay, he doesn't deny that the woman has been caught or that she's a sinner. doesn't ask about the man or that he's a sinner. But he says, let him that is without fault cast the first stone. And then he stooped back down and started writing again. And they were convicted of their own condition and convicted of their own sin and perhaps convicted of their own adulterous thoughts, maybe not necessarily having committed the act themselves, but certainly having thought. And so they are convicted. And one by one, it says, from the eldest to the youngest, they slipped away. And finally, when the Lord stands up again, she's the only one there. And so he says, where did they all go? Did no one condemn you? Did no one start throwing the stones? And she says, no one, Lord. And he turns to her and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I showed you John 1 and 14 at the start today. And it said that the Lord was full of grace and truth. We look at his glory the glory as of the Father's one and only, full of grace and truth. And this story displays, reveals God's glory in grace and in truth. In truth in that he didn't deny that she was a sinner. And in effect, <coughs> excuse me, he affirmed Moses' law. That's the truth of it. She was a sinner, but so were her accusers. And yet grace in the way that he treats this woman, and grace in effect in the way he treats those who are her accusers. Our Lord, in all of his words, in all of his actions, in all of the signs or the miracles that he performed, in all the conversations that he had, was that perfect mixture of grace and truth. Thank you very much. Father, we're so thankful for our Savior. He is the great I am who was, who is, and who is to come. We rejoice as well that he is the light of the world. He's the light that gave us life by displaying God's glory here upon this earth. Thank you for the gospel of John that 
slowly and steadily reveals Christ to us, who he is and what he represents and who God is. We see Christ by, we see God by looking at Christ. Father, we are thankful for the grace and truth of our Savior. We thank you for his love for us, that he died upon the cross for us, that he created a way of salvation for us. We thank you for the life that he's given us here upon earth. What a tremendous responsibility we have as lights in following on from him who was the light of the world while he was here. And to the extent that we can, we show him as the light through our lives and seek to bring others into the light from the darkness of the world. Father, bless us in this coming week. Help us to live as Christians. Help us to show others that we belong to him and that we are his and that they can enjoy the light and life that comes from the Savior as well. Bless us as we part. We are thankful for every blessing through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.